podcast greater than yourself. All right, welcome to episode seven of podcast greater than yourself. I'm John Barleycorn, and I am Fred, and we are your hosts. Obviously, do you believe we've done fucking seven episodes already? It's pretty cool. I'm enjoying myself. How about you? Oh, dude, it's my favorite part of the week. So this week we sat down with our new friend G to discuss the phenomenon of craving and a bunch of other stuff. I feel like we could have gone for like three more hours. Yeah, easily. Um, yeah, it was a great chat. Uh, he's a really good guy. Sounds like he's getting more and more active in sponsorship and step work as this uh, global pandemic thing marches forward, which is really cool to see people just finding new ways to be helpful. He is a, he's a wonderful addition to our fellowship, and he is just another example of um, somebody who's living this program and is just on fire. I mean, I can, as we were chatting with him, you could just see it in his eyes. You could see it in his body. He's just he's on fire for this, and he's, he's in love with it, and it's, it's so good to see Absolutely. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Feel free to drop us an email, podcast greater than yourself at gmail.com. We hope you guys enjoy this episode of Podcast Greater Than Yourself. Yep. What pages are we looking at here? Um, you know, I wanted to start off on um, page 36 when we start talking about um, Jim's story. Um, Dope. You know, it was a. Uh, it kind of uh, entrails the, the the thinking that led up to his um, to his drinking or his his uh, his sudden epiphany of uh, whiskey milk, which is everyone's favorite cocktail. <laughs> um, so you know, at the top of the page, it kind of um, it, it basically says, like, "I came to work on a Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be the salesman for a concern I once owned." So you know that right there, like. Like it's showing that he has like some sort of resentment in his mind going on right there. He's irritated. And then, you know, fast forward, he decides he wants to go get a sandwich, no intention of drinking, um, you know, still no intention of drinking goes on and on. And suddenly like the, the mental obsession comes out of nowhere and he has no, no guard against it. And, um, you know, like what, what I wanted to also talk about too, like, like fast forwarding a little bit too, is like where it, it goes into more detail about resentments and how resentments are really what, triggers the 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 mental craving you know like it, it starts with like a spiritual malady um page uh, 64 it talks about um resentments is the number one offender it destroys more alcoholics than anything else from it stems all forms of spiritual disease for we've not only been mentally and physically ill we've been spiritually sick when the spiritual maladies overcome we straighten out mentally and physically and, and to me like i remember when i first read that that was really um it kind of blew my mind because you know, for the longest time in the book, they're, they're talking about the mental obsession and the, and the physical part of it, you know, and, and they keep saying like, the only cure for that is going to be the psychic change, the psychic change. But I didn't understand, you know, why or how, how are those things connected? But then at this point, it starts saying like a spiritual disease, like it goes deeper than just our mind and our body. Like it's, it's all the way like to our heart, you know, that's the kind of the way I view it. Like it starts in our heart, then it goes to our head. Then we take the drink and then it's in our body, you know, so and it says if we can straighten out the spiritual malady, then we'll be able to, then the rest will fall in line. Then our thinking will become like on a, on the clearer plane and then we won't take the drink. So our body will be fine too. And, um, and then that makes me think too, is like, okay, so like it starts in my heart, right? And resentments are there. So what's causing the resentments? Cause then on the next page, it's looking at 
this guy's resentmentless, right? Um, you know, he's talking about Mr. Brown, this dude's hidden on his wife. And in parentheses, it's saying like, there's, there's a fear there. And, um, it goes on to 67 where, um, you know, it's, it's, it finally introduces, um, the word fear. It says it's bracketed alongside difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mr. Jones, the employer and his wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence is shot through with it. And then, you know, it goes on to say that it should be classed with stealing. Um, seems to be caused more, more trouble. So at, at, at the root of the resentments is, is fear, this thing that's, that's infiltrating every aspect of our life. And, um, and it goes on to say too, in the paragraph after that, that there's a better way instead of using self-reliance, which ultimately creates all these fears. If we're able to trust and rely upon God rather than ourselves, then all of our fears are going to fall away. We'll be able to turn those over to God and truly trust our higher power. And if we can sort out the fears, then we won't be resentful. Then we won't start craving our fucking drinks in our mind. And then we won't take the drink. So it's like, it's like a whole chain that goes so far back, you know, like, like for, for the longest time when I was, when I was trying to get sober without a program, you know, I, I couldn't figure out why I kept drinking. Then I came to AA and it found out it's like, okay, well now I like, now I know why I'm having these thinking because I'm an alcoholic, but like, what's, what's causing this? Like, why can't I get over this obsession? And, it's, and it goes deeper into your heart and it's the character defects and the fears and you know, that's, that's really the core of this program. That's, that's the point is getting rid of those things and replacing self-will with God's will. And, um, you know, it says over and over in the book, the whole point of this program is, is the spiritual experience. And, um, and that's really what that is, you know, at least how it's manifested in, in my experiences. Um, relieving myself of fears, resentments, replacing that with, with how can I be of service to my higher power? How can I do your will? You know, thy will be done. Like it, it kind of boils down to like the third step prayer, essentially. I know that was like a bunch of different parts. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pick like one paragraph. I kind of was all freestyle acid jazz yeah. way to get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. It's that's like the way my mind is, man. It's just kind of fucking a stream of consciousness of just randomness. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, so uh, <laughs> the oh, there's so much to touch on out of all. Yeah, that. a lot of a lot of things came up with that. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think why it came that way is because I'm actually over the like since since the time you hit me up and the time we've been here, like. I've, t- I've been working with this new guy and we've gone through steps one through three in this time. So I've reread all of this and worked it with somebody over the past couple of days. So I think that's why I've been on this journey with this guy, like, mm-hmm. and just like, and, and having this in mind already, like the phenomenon of craving, I've been thinking about this podcast at the same time I've been sponsoring this dude. So I think that's why it's like, I've been kind of going on this journey with this dude over the past couple of days. And these are all like the revelations that we've like made together, you know? That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been working out. <laughs> I, I actually have, I had an experience with part of this reading last week where, um, so this part where it says, sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing, mm-hmm. like years and like literally decades ago when I first was in AA and I knew the book really well, I learned it and stuff. Um, I don't recall ever having a working comprehension of what that meant. And so when I came back to AA and I had like a very measurable experience with the work, going through it at a rapid pace and getting that psychic change, having like a turn in my thinking and my perception, it became really obvious to me how fear is akin to stealing and that every second that I spend wrapped in fear 
I'm completely incapable of enjoying my, myself, of experiencing joy, because I'm just in fear. I'm in self. And the extension of that, that I was able to see through like a thorough fourth and fifth step is, is what you're, what you're getting at with like, okay, I have this psychic change. And then now my back half of my third step prayer life is I need to go be of service to other people and show them what happened in my life. And that little turn there shows me the real importance of fear being classed as stealing is that I am robbing everyone around me of me being useful to them because I'm sitting yeah. in my own shit. I am stealing my ability to be effective and to help anybody because I am just in my head, in my fear and just tormented, you know? And last, last week at our Thursday night meeting, that was the reading. And, um, I had just gotten like a really scary email and uh, I was like right before the meeting and I was fucking totally mentally checked out during the entire meeting. And I was completely like my gut was knotted in fear. And I was like sitting through that whole meeting like, well, here's what I'll say. I'll just kind of say like the party line shit, the fucking head knowledge mm -hmm. that I have about this reading. If this comes right. to me. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, there aren't a lot of hands raised, so I'll raise my hand. And and then a bunch of hands got raised. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to lower my hand because I am being, I am so self-absorbed right now. I am not even listening to anyone. I am like looking at my phone. I'm thinking about that email. I'm thinking about like a hundred thousand things I got to do. Being absolutely not helpful to anyone. And the last thing I need to do is be like, oh, uh, yeah, hi. Yeah, I'm John. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Here's how I think. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's just like just stroking your ego of this like knowledge I have about this one paragraph of the book and this like interesting little thing I could point out. And then, <laughs> you know, actually having to go after that and be like, yeah, I need to write inventory on that. I need to talk to somebody. Right. I need to ask God to remove that direct my thinking to what do you have me be? And then I need to go be useful to somebody else. And only through doing that, does that get treated in the way that you're describing, which is like actually effective as opposed to me blotting out the intolerable consciousness of, of my life or living on self-will and trying to like wrestle everything around me into this state where I can be comfortable. You're making me think the spiritual life is not a theory. Right. It has to be mm. lived. It's like exactly. you could sit there, you know, we're, we, we don't sit around and pontificate. I mean, we do in meetings and especially at that particular meeting that you're talking about. Um, but like that is not the solution, right? The solution is not sitting around and talking about this stuff. The solution is actually taking the action around this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're <laughs> it's funny. This seems to be happening a lot with this, and it's not surprising with this podcast where we ask somebody to pick a reading. We either all pick a same reading or we pick basically three readings that say the same thing. But I was like, in my mind, I was like, so can I just read all of the doctor's opinion? And then can I go ahead and just, and I had like three other places in the book where I was like, I'll just hop to these two though. like, can I just read like, like I'm a, can you guys over here fucking like yes, on you guys. 40 minute reading uh i love that you uh i love that you read from jim's story um 
Jim is one of is is one of the great characters of the book, and I love <laughs> that it it's describing the mental states that are preceding the relapse. Mm-hmm. And if you go through his two paragraph description where it's his actual story where he wrote it and you highlight or underline every time he writes the word i me or my in those two short paragraphs he says it 30 times so the mental state that he's in is extreme selfishness Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and if you think about it he at that moment the most kind thing we could do for jim was put some whiskey in his milk Right. His <laughs> wife's going to fucking leave him, right? He's working for the company he used to own as a salesperson. Like The guy's life is in fucking turmoil. Had to get up on <laughs> so a like, fucking Tuesday morning. Right. What happened on Monday? <laughs> Everybody just glazes over that. But um, Maybe it was a holiday weekend. So, uh, you know, the, the thing about Jim is that if you're not living on a spiritual basis, the most kind thing you can do for that man is have a drink. And the other thing is, is if he wasn't an alcoholic, nothing wrong with that normal fucking people have shitty days and go take the edge off with a fucking beer we are not a program of telling people that drinking is bad my wife has um had shitty weeks during corona her normal thing is like she's like i'm not gonna drink until thursday that's like her little rule that she has with herself i've seen her crack a white claw on a monday and i've been like damn that must have been a tough fucking monday you know what i mean (laughs) but you know what she does she drinks fucking one white claw and then goes to bed like nothing else happened you know the problem is is that is that um you know, uh, and I'm going to steal from myself here, but like, because I was going to read this, but Jim is suffering. And that's the word that is used in the early part of the doctor's opinion. And the word suffering means to endure pain without choice. Once he takes that drink, he's no longer driving the car. Mm-hmm. He's, he's no longer in control of what happens next. And that is what sets us apart from normal drinkers that's what's even setting us apart from hard drinkers right uh-huh. is once i take that whiskey in the milk right it's like yeah i know the wife's gonna leave but i and i fucking love her you know i know she's taking the kids and i fucking love them i don't want to lose my business but i'm not driving the car anymore i'm no longer in control the phenomenon of craving has has taken over and i think it was such a what a, i would have never thought to go to that and i'm so, so i'm so glad that you fucking riffed all the way to jail. Yeah. Well, you're his counterpart, man, Fred. So I thought it was yeah, kind of well, <laughs> Do you know why I picked Fred? Because someday I want to find out what the fuck happened to his wife at the airport. Like nobody's <laughs> talking about it. But this like is like stuck days, in me. <laughs> I'm like, dude, if if I like had a loved one who was like supposed to get off a plane, I'm like standing and it's like nineteen thirty something. Yeah, no it's, phones, it's nothing. Just like <laughs> He's like breezes past her and finds a cab driver and he's just like off for five days. Like, I want 30 more pages on Fred, you know? Like, so what I love about the not a cloud on the horizon thing is like this, you know, uh, the the mental state that precedes a first drink, restless, irritable discontent, right? And that's Mm -hmm. there's like such a uh, a rote pat understanding of what that means. And it, and it often looks like, you know, I'm fucking broke and, you know, got lost my job and all this stuff. And it's like, Fred's restless, irritable and discontent is like end of a perfect day, not a cloud yep. on the horizon. Like it, it's comical, but it's like, how many times did, did I do that? Where it's like, it's the same thing. Whether I wake up like, uh, you know, in Chicago on a hardwood floor and it's 20 degrees and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die from the flu and I'm hungover as shit and I just want to die. 
or I wake up in a nice heated apartment with somebody very attractive next to me, like whatever it is, whatever the circumstances are, when, when it's good, it's fucking not good enough. I don't feel right. And I know that there's something that'll make me feel better, you know, and the duration of the, you know, improvement in my mental condition and my internal condition is shorter and shorter as it goes along. But I know for hey, half an hour, I'm going to feel all right. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we drink essentially because we like the effect produced by alcohol. Well, I remember reading that and this is the other thing about the phenomenon of craving. There's that, again, there's a line where it says, you know, uh, this uh, makes sense for things we could other, otherwise not encounter. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I'm not reading directly out of the book, but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was my experience with this part of the illness, disease, whatever you know, whatever you want to call it. I the first time I tried to get sober, the phenomenon of craving, the allergic reaction, whatever you want to call it, like this idea that like once I drink, I don't control how much more I drink made so much sense to me mm-hmm. to the point where I remember being in rehab for the first time, first time being introduced to 12 step program, first time being introduced to a rehab facility. And I'm like a couple days in and we get into this part of whatever, whether it was in a group or in a meeting or whatever. And I got down and I called, which was my wife at the time, now my ex-wife. I called her and uh, and I was like, it's a disease. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was stoked to learn this information. It made it it made so it would be like, you know, I don't know. It would be like having the worst headache of your life for six months straight and then going to the doctor and then being like, Oh, you have a brain tumor. You would be slightly relieved yeah. to find out that, you know, that it's like, Oh, okay. At least I know what the fuck it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was my experience. Now her reaction on the other end was great. How's that going to help me pay the mortgage? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you it, still it smoked so meth at my grandma's funeral. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a disease, Fred. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually closer than I'd like to admit. But but yeah, the um, the thing that, you know, the the thing that, that I think Fred experienced more than Jim, Jim, I think, is suffering from a spiritual malady 100%. Exactly what G was talking about. What Fred experienced, in my opinion, was the curious mental blank spot. The curious mm-hmm. mental phenomenon, the insanely trivial yep. excuse, right? Yeah. And it's all it takes to flip that switch, you know. Uh, it is is, and it's what separates this allergy, illness, whatever, from to me everything else mm-hmm. that exists, which is why yep. it's so wildly misunderstood. Because people with peanut allergies do yep. not run into grocery store, steal peanut butter, and then shovel it into their face in the parking lot and go into anaphylactic shock. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's why it's like you... How many, like, crackheads have you met in meetings who have a hard time understanding the phenomenon of craving? It doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, they yeah. they get that part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why you have these one is too many, thousands never enough slogans, and it's like right. they're just repeating that and walking off like a zombie. Yes, if I just avoid that. And it's like <laughs> the, right. the mental prelapse... You know, this blank spot, it's never addressed. For for me, that's like the biggest thing that's left out of most dialogues around step one is that like, 
I will continue to pull a Fred or a Jim against my own will. I'll wake up and I'll say, I'm not going to drink today. And then I'll fucking drink. Whether it's because I am unhappy or there's not a cloud on the horizon, some insanely trivial excuse will come to mind. And it'll be more powerful than my desire to not drink or the memory of the pain caused by drinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, and, and that's why I really like when they, when they do in the book address it as insanity, what they're saying is like, if I can't guarantee you every time how much I'm going to drink, I can't tell you how my body's going to react to it. It would be fucking insane to drink. Right? Like I had I had an experience where first time I ever went to IKEA, I was the most hungover I've ever been in my life. And the reason was because the night before we were at this hotel and me and my partner at the time and my mom went to the sauna. We were just hanging out and I got two Heineken bombers. I was like, I'm gonna have these two big beers. Like to me it was like I'm just gonna have two beers. All I'm having is two beers. It's four beers, you know, um, like 80 <laughs> ounces of beer. <laughs> All I'm having is two beers and um, <laughs> get off my back. You know, I'm having two beers and then I'm just going to chill. And so, you know, optimistic. Maybe I won't even have the second. I don't know. It's co- Hey, it's cool. I'm a normal person. <laughs> and so, like, I drink the two Heinekens in the hot tub. Then we go back to the hotel room. My mom was drinking cranberry vodka at the time. She bought two fifths of absolute, like some whatever corner store. And I'm like, shoot, hey, you know, a cranberry vodka doesn't sound bad. So the phenomenon of craving is already developed, right? I'm already drinking past the point where I said I was going to drink. I was going to have two beers. <laughs> of course, it's four beers. We've already just covered that. So <laughs> I had I had the two beers. And then I think there might even have been another beer in there somewhere. But I definitely remember being like, yeah, a cranberry vodka sounds fine. And so um, I, I, you know, bogarted their little vodka sash and I, you know, started in and they opened that bottle, the first bottle. And then it's the next morning and I have no recollection of anything. And both bottles are empty and they're both angry because I drank an entire (laughs) fifth of vodka. And... I don't, I don't know, like, I know that there are people who are like, you know, besides YouTube challenges or something, I know that there are people who are like, I would like to drink a whole fifth of vodka, you know what I mean? I know that there are people who think that. Um, I think that something's probably wrong with them. Um, <laughs> but show me one person who accidentally drinks a fifth of vodka. You know what I'm saying? I love that you said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This Absolutely. is this is the, this is someone who's drinking you're drinking to satisfy a craving beyond your ability to mm-hmm. control. And yeah, it's just absolutely. like what Silkworth says like I cannot tell you what's when that's going to happen. And that was mm-hmm. just the first time that that happened to me, you know? And then I I'm any time that I drank after that, I could have easily said I don't want to be fucking dragging my ass through IKEA feeling like microwaved horse shit right yeah that sucked that was unpleasant that experience and i ended up like i mean i sought like medical attention for it that experience didn't do anything to keep me from Mm -hmm. drinking five days later right nothing so we know you're not a normal drinker (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
but I think we can classify you as at least a hard drinker. Yeah. Just based on the information in the book. Are you feeling underwhelmed by the average Zoom meeting? Uh, yeah. Do you find yourself zoning out while the same motley cast of weirdos ramble on at your virtual homeroom meeting? Oh, for sure. Have you ever wished you could tailor your online meetings to suit whatever mood you're in? Um, only like a hundred percent of the time. Introducing the virtual reality AA meeting from a podcast greater than yourself. Okay, I'm listening. How it works. Through proprietary technology, a podcast greater than yourself is now able to bring you the fellowship you crave at the touch of a button. Go on. Your monthly subscription includes Dolby Digital Surround Sound Noise Canceling Bluetooth Earbuds. Oh my god, it's crystal clear. Okay, everyone. Uh, everyone, please, if you'll uh, quiet down. I, I feel um, like we're I can going hear to get started everything. now. Uh, okay, my name is Marty, and um, I do suffer from a substance use disorder. Ultra high def 4K virtual reality headset. Oh, I can see every pore on Marty's this face. Is the regular Tuesday night meeting of the happy, joyous, and free progress, not perfection, serenity one day at a time. All things to all people group of Alcoholics Anonymous. Two top-of-the-line ultra-intuitive touch controllers. Okay, this is scary. I can legit feel a styrofoam cup of coffee in my hand. What else could this package possibly include? Access to our entire library of virtual reality meetings, including your own personal customizable lobby. Customizable? Marty's in trouble. A box of assorted sobriety coins. Love it. An AA-approved pamphlet called Sobriety for the Incredibly Lonely. Uh, I've already read that one. Good evening. My name is Randall Matthews, and I am a real chronic, hopeless, recovered alcoholic. I introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic because our basic text Never sit through a rambling old timer again. Okay. Here goes nothing. So on page nine, my name is Randall Matthews, and I am a real, chronic, hopeless, recovered alcoholic, and I am available for sponsorship. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God! It worked. He ended his share. Never wait your turn to be called on to share. Thank you for sharing your comments, Teddy. Um, who would like to go next? Teddy, would you like to share? Um, sure, I'd, I'd love to share. Um, my name is Teddy. I'm a grateful, recovering alcoholic and an addict. Never shake another sick and suffering person's hand ever again. Honestly, don't need your little VR headset for that, but okay. With your customizable lobby, you can literally create the fellowship you crave. So, all in all, it was a good first date. I'd say I ended up doing some work on my seventh step by admitting to the waiter at the Chinese restaurant that I didn't need chopsticks and would happily use a fork. <laughs> oh, <Daddy>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, family. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, well, thank you for sharing, Teddy. Um, who would like to share next? Um, maybe Teddy, would you like to share? Oh, yeah, me, share. 
Sure, I'd love to share. My name's Teddy, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and an addict. The Virtual Reality AA Meeting. From a podcast greater than yourself. Order yours today at thisisjustajoke.html forward slash no. This product does not exist, but I bet you wish it did. Dot com. So I'm watching her drink this beer and she's like, well, it's a little warm. And I'm like, I got you. Finish it and get you. another one. Here's what you're going to do. Yeah. Chug that fucking beer. Okay. We'll go inside and we'll tell them, hey, the beer was warm. They'll give you a free one. I mean, this is a fucking <laughs> solid plan, right? She's like, she looks at me. She goes, no, I'm, I'm just not going to drink this beer. And I'm like, ah, this doesn't make any sense. And I don't so, want another one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So at that moment, I said to her, I, I looked at her, I, I got to ask you a question. Have you ever gone out to have two drinks and accidentally gotten drunk? And she said, no, I've gone out to get drunk and gotten drunk. Mm-hmm. I've gone out in like work functions where like the wine is like never ending, where the waitress or the waiter or yeah. server, she's like around your table yeah. and just never stops filling your glass. She's like, I've accidentally got like more drunk at those things. But when I've gotten drunk, I meant to get drunk. And when I've said it's Wednesday and I'm just going to go for happy hour, like I just go for happy hour and go home. It's so weird. That's right. Yeah. It's like, I'm like this. I can't even, it doesn't even fucking connect mm-hmm. in my brain. And I tell that story in a meeting and people are looking at me like, you're fucking crazy. Go ask 10 normal <laughs> people. They'll all tell you yeah. the same fucking thing. Yeah. Normal people don't react this way, you know? And, uh, and, yeah. and it's, it's absolutely fucking insane. My, my wife for her bachelorette party went to you know she went out to the gay bars with her friends and you know they forced her to drink all night you know she got much more intoxicated than she would have liked to have gotten at a fucking bachelorette party where her friends are buying things and shoving them in their face you know what i mean it's like i will try to have one manhattan and sit on the couch and watch youtube and i am suddenly like at the store buying a six pack finishing it or having five and then congratulating myself because i didn't finish it you know like <laughs> I, did, I did all right it it's a yeah. different thing i'm doing that by myself watching unsolved mysteries on the couch and like mm-hmm. i gotta get up at 6 a.m and it's you know two in the morning and i'm shit-faced and i can't sleep <sighs> and it's like the 15th time in a month it's happened you know and it's just like yeah these are different things you know but that one night, but that one night, you only had two. I pulled it off. <laughs> and it fucking, and it's enough to keep you going totally. until you find yourself like, yeah. have you for ever done decade. that thing where you're like, uh, you're like making two drinks, like one for you, one for somebody else. So you like pull off the bottle real quick when nobody's oh, in the kitchen and you're like, drink straight out of the bottle first. <laughs> then you like make your drink and it's just like all booze with like a, a <laughs> mixer. Then their drink is like mostly mixer and they accidentally go to grab yours. You're like, oh, whoa, wrong fucking one, buddy. <laughs> Get out of here. That's mine. And that's the story of how I punched my aunt. <laughs> uh, I didn't punch my aunt. Nobody knows who you are anyway. So. I mean, it doesn't count. Yeah. I, I, apparently, I, I didn't amend. Smoked so meth at your count grandmother's funeral or something. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to let you save yours for last. I think yours is probably really good. And I don't think... I think Mine's going to stir up good. shit, I think. So... Oh, good. Okay, my reading is off of page uh, 22. So my reading is, uh, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, 
he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. So that last line is, is, you know, one thing that stuck out to me is just absolutely not only is this um, something that really hooked me into this idea that this is a, that this is true. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's in the doctor's opinion where, uh, they talk about, you know, the ability to, to kind of hook somebody, but it's also the thing I used to hook newcomers, right? It's like, this is the thing they're not hearing at meetings, this definition of, you know, what this was like for me and then them being able to relate, which is really, I mean, the basis of our entire program is that I'm a guy who has an answer, but I'm just like you. I'm just not where you are anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was so abundantly clear with my sponsor when I sat across from the table from him it was so clear that he had been to where I was, but he wasn't there anymore. And Mm -hmm. I so badly wanted to know how he got out of that place because the place that I was in felt beyond hopeless, you know? And, and it was when I started reading these words in these book and it started like, it was like, I would have never picked these words, but it was like somebody was writing my story. It was like somebody was writing yeah. down the things that I had experienced. Mm-hmm. Yet I felt like when I was experiencing them, I felt completely alone and like nobody else could possibly understand what I was going through. Nobody else could have the experience of um, being in a motel room by yourself, uh, swearing you're not going to drink again. I'm never going to drink again. And then coming to, and I mean, literally banging your head against the wall. Like I finally understood why that was a saying, because I found myself (laughs) banging my head against the wall saying out loud, how did this happen again? How did this happen again? You know? And, um, you know, I don't want to get like scientific about it or whatever, but it's your body processes alcohol within like a, like within less than three days. So like, after three days, the idea of a phenomenon of craving still existing is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're no longer being controlled by the alcohol if you can stay sober for three days. And Bill's story, even when he's deep in the throes of his fucking steep ski slope decline of bullshit, he says, um, there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope, which tells me that's more than three fucking days, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Lois wasn't getting stoked after 36 hours, you know, but maybe after like four or five days, she was like, you know, and so it says like the alcoholic reacts normally if he can stay away from alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. If you go to a doctor right now and you say, Hey, I can't stop drinking or you say, I have a problem with alcohol. Do you know what their solution? They say, just don't fucking drink. (laughs) Right. That's the best they can come up with. Right. And that's the fucking bullshit you hear in meetings. Now it's like, just don't fucking drink. Okay. Uh, right. But then once I do, I can't fucking stop, but then I can't keep myself from drinking and every, and even though I know I shouldn't, I tell myself, yeah, but you know, like it's fucking Friday and man, everybody else gets to drink on a Friday and I've been sober fucking six months, you know, and like my shit's way better than it was the last time I drank, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and she's (laughs) back and like, she kind of wants me to drink with her because I'm a fucking miserable piece of shit. You know, because I'm I'm just like angry at work and I'm angry at the kids and like yeah. I can feel that she wants me to take a drink, you know, and and uh, and so I it. fucking do, yeah, yeah, and so I fucking do, and then boom, 
and one of the guys I met when I was really new, um, he he described this like, um, you know, if you if the three of us go right now to Olive Garden and we do the fucking never ending pasta bowls, how many pasta bowls before we fucking tap out? You know, maybe <laughs> maybe we're fucking really pushing ourselves and we get three in us. But with every bite of food I take, right, I become full. I become satisfied. Right. But the opposite reaction with alcohol and drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. With every drink, with every drug, I take more. Right. And somehow I personally believe that the thing I was put on this planet to do better than anything else is metabolize alcohol and drugs. <laughs> Like I do it at a rate that is better than everyone else I've ever met. You know, like why the fuck am I able to do drugs and drink the way I do? Is that on your CV? It is. (laughs) It is. Podcast co-host and drug and drug metabolizer. metabolizer. (laughs) You actually, you actually kind of um, sort of dovetailed for a second there into what my reading was going to be or is going to be. Okay. So this is in doctor's opinion in the part uh, between the first two letters. I have a third edition, so I don't know. It's it's uh, 24 in mine. It says, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Which I feel like is a lot of what we've been kind of going back and forth on. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I will smash 15 bowls of pasta. (laughs) You know what I mean? The the booze equivalent of that. Um, I'm pounding on the bar at Olive Garden, shutting that motherfucker down. Um, I need more pasta. You know? Um, (laughs) Except it's fucking... Ambien and Heineken, you know. Um, <laughs> so the other the other part of that though that I was saying I think might be like a soapboxy shit stirring thing is the, the as laymen, our opinion may mean very little, which I feel is a point of humility so so rarely expressed in meetings. Um, nice and. Um, I think it's really important to understand that like there's kind of two sides to this. A lot of the people who criticize AA as being ineffective or dated um, and scoff at the doctor's opinion because it's from 80 years ago or whatever. And we've made so many advances since then. It's like, meanwhile, nothing's changed with the person the book's talking about. There's not a fucking pill that can keep me from, obsessing and having a desire to drink there's just not i think there's some craving pills where it like it can it 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 can't treat the actual phenomenon of craving but it can make you fucking vomit red stuff when you drink and make your skin turn different colors and shit it's like one of those things when you steal something from the store and the dye explodes (laughs) and then you're you're like violet Violet beauregard and willy wonka turning into like a fucking blueberry (laughs) i just i just just had a nice port with my dessert (laughs) i just imagine like like blue puke all over the bathroom (laughs) and then like the husband or wife comes in and goes not again oh my god it's like, it's like the yeah, Sid and Nancy bathroom. So, um, yeah, I just think that like it's 
it's one of those things where it's like ubiquitous, right? Like anytime you go to a meeting, I have a disease, I have an allergy, I'm allergic to alcohol. And it's like, meanwhile, the people who wrote the book never say that we're allergic to alcohol. They say that mm-hmm. they find that idea interesting. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then they drive home in a very gentle and respectful way to, to Silkworth because they're very appreciative of this guy, even though he did it anonymously the first time to put his reputation on the line, you know, his experience. Um, and it is a valuable piece to have that a medical expert give this opinion. But the fact that they could so humbly say that and not be like, look, you know, just leave that out and be like, our experience abundantly confirms this. But the fact that they, that they take that back seat there is so important to me because it's something that so few people do at least publicly in AA, like at a group level or whatever. There's so many opinions that are stated as fact. And I think that this is one of them. I think that it's, I think that it's of value to at least look at, do I somehow, am I qualified to say, yeah, that's an allergy. I mean, like, I don't know. I know point of fact, I ha- I physically react differently to alcohol than other people do. I know that. And that's true. And I think that it's enough to see that these people have that symptom of their illness as well, coupled with the absolute inability to stay sober on their own. And I think that those two things spoken about as clearly and without controversy and declaration of medical fact as they do in the book, I think is the perfect way to approach it. And I think that's why the book so successfully could 12 step the, the hypothetical traveling salesman from Wichita or whatever we talked about before where it's like, right. That's why they wrote the book. You could drop the book out of an airplane and, and some Inuit (laughs) dude would find it and be like, I'm going to recover from alcoholism today, you know? Mm-hmm. And you right. do all that shit in the book. You get the result that the that the steps pr- produce. You just mm-hmm. do. So anyway, my whole point is that, like, <laughs> I'm repeatedly, like, wowed by some of the humility that I see in reading the book that people who are angry at AA and think that AA is a sexist, pointless, outdated thing uh, apparently don't see in the book. It's, I think that them saying that in the doctor's opinion is uh, is the same kind of humility that is expressed in we agnostics where it's like mm-hmm. dude we found this amazing thing and it's a design for living and it can change your life and not just not drinking you're going to have this amazing fourth dimension experience and yet I'm not going to tell you what to call that power. I'm not going to tell you how you have to approach it, how you have to meditate, how your conception needs to be, nothing. All I'm going to say is, are you even willing to believe there is some power greater than you? Mm-hmm. Cool. Welcome. You know, and that's it. Yep. But, uh, you know, again, and obviously that's piggybacking off of the experience of step one, but. Yeah, dude. Um, you know, that, that made a lot of sense to me when I first read that because you know, essentially this is a hypothesis. Like you said, it's not something that's proven, but you know, they, as they so eloquently put it, it explains many things that we cannot account for otherwise. And that's kind of how I felt about the higher powers. Like, you know, when I first came, like I, I, you know, I, I was like, I don't know about this whole God thing about the whole higher power thing, but I couldn't dispute that. Like there's, there's physical evidence of people who are sober in front of me who are telling me like, 
this is what we did. And I can't argue with that because, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so something must be working. And, and in the book, like they don't tell you exactly what it has to be. Like you said, it's, they're not saying you have to believe, like you don't you have to call it this, it's this, or this is the right thing. It's just saying, like you said, can you believe that something is bigger than, you, you know? And it's, and that to me is kind of like what connected that part too, is it's, it's not saying like, this is a, like a, like a fact, like, like the, you know, at least with like the allergy, it's not a fact. It's just like, this is what, like, it, it seems to account for this, you know, yeah. for the higher power. Like it seems to account, like, like we, I, I don't have the cravings anymore. If I believe this, you know, like I, I still can't prove if there's God, like, you know, it says like God created the universe. All this, like, I can't prove that. I don't know that, you know, but all I know is that if, if I put like one X and Y together, it equals like, I don't get drunk, you know, and I don't, I don't have the cravings. You know, so it's good enough for me. You know, that's kind of like yeah. the way I view it. And and that's it. It's simple. You know, and that's why they say keep it simple. We don't have to be the fucking um, philosophers who figure all this out. All, all I care about is I just don't want to have these cravings anymore. You know, I don't want to be insane anymore. I don't want to die, you know. And and if this works for me, then, hey, dude, like I'm, I'm cool with it, you know. And um, if I can help somebody else get it, too, then even better. Oh, so yeah. That's kind of the way I think about it. I think uh, also like people love to take that reading and the, that word specifically allergy. Right. And then um, like, it's become a really popular uh, meme or like thing that you see on Facebook, you hear like, uh, Oh, I'm allergic to alcohol. I break out in handcuffs. Right. Which is <laughs> that Robert yeah. Downey Jr. Said that the thing is, it's like, um, you know, Silkworth says it later on. Like he says, like uh, the way that doctors think and the way that doctors do things, um, this stuff doesn't jive with them. It, yep. it doesn't, right? It does, and and I always laugh at the line, you know, what with our ultra modern, you know, stand <laughs> ultra modern, sci- yeah. modern standard, scientific, whatever bullshit. And it's like, um, yeah, like, and that's from 1935. Yeah, he's got like a um, chalkboard. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like using his abacus. And, um, uh, but you know, um, the thing is, is that this man had had worked with thousands yep. of people you know and, mm-hmm. and he had seen this over and over and and the thing that is that we keep hitting on right is like if you're a real alcoholic and i say this to you it clicks mm-hmm. and you go mm-hmm. that's the thing i've been trying to fucking figure out and i haven't yeah. been able to and if you have then fucking tell me yeah. you know mm-hmm. and and uh and and you know to your to your point john like earlier about you know 80 years later, where are we at or whatever? Um, there's a, one of my favorite things it says in the book is like science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So, yeah. And whenever I read that with a sponsee, I go, and just so you fucking know, they still haven't done shit haven't about done it. Yet. They have some fucking things that they're telling you will work. But for every person I know who's gotten a fucking shot in the ass or takes a pill under their tongue or whatever the fuck they do, the shit doesn't work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And my, my personal experience with that because I have a lot of experience with it, is that if you're a real alcoholic, that shit does not work. Mm -hmm. Maybe it works for the hard drinker. And if it does, fucking great. I'm so happy for you. But my experience is that for a real alcoholic, this is the only thing that will work Um, for somebody who has these two things that we have been talking about, right? The phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession. And, you know, the other thing that I love that Silkworth says, and it really always kind of sits with me, is when he talks about, um, you know, if there's people out there who think that I'm being too easy on this group, that I shouldn't be behind them, you know, let them come stand with me on the firing line. Let them, you know, see the sad wives and the children and all this stuff. 
And whenever I get people talking shit to me in a meeting about the way that I speak to people or the way that I approach AA or the way that I, you know, uh, I've heard that I can come up as self righteous in meetings. Um, sorry that I found something to save my fucking life. And now I'm trying to like help somebody else with it. And if that sounds self righteous to you, like I'm so fucking sorry, but like, have you gotten phone calls at 2 a.m. from your sponsee's wife who can't fucking find him? Because I have. I've taken those calls. I've actually been on my way to dinner with my wife and be like, get the phone call. Be like, sorry, babe, not going to dinner tonight because I got to go see if I can find this motherfucker. Like, they got to take you home. So I like, have you done that shit? Because if you haven't, don't fucking come at me with that until you've stood there and, and experienced that. Then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And you have no idea what this book is talking about. You know, because that's yeah. what this is. This is about making self-sacrifice for other people, you know, and, and it only makes sense to somebody and only somebody who's experienced this type of depth of hopelessness, the depth of hopelessness that is the phenomenon of craving to experience something that is outside of your control. Only somebody who's had that experience is willing to even go to those lengths. Yeah. And that's the whole thing, like at its core. So we're talking about a design for living and like all this wonderful shit and the fourth dimension of existence. And at its core, I went through the 12 steps. And on the other side of that, I literally spend zero minutes of my day trying not to drink alcohol. Yeah, I don't ever think about drinking alcohol. And when I say that in meetings, people do one of three things, let's say. One, they're like, fuck yeah, right on, me too. I'm also a recovered alcoholic. <laughs> or they go, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Or Dangerous. they're like, oh, interesting. This guy's saying something different. I'm going to go talk to that mm. guy. Mm. And it's and it's really just those three categories. And the people who've had that experience are on fire, like what you're talking about. Yeah. Because that's fucking Cheech and Chong shit, dude. That's like... Ugh. Next level, outer space nonsense. If that's yep. the only thing that AA ever offered me, yep. dude, all my chips are in, okay? Yep. Because mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was be able to sit on the couch and be bored and have nothing to do but not being obsessed with alcohol. Like, if that was my life, that would be a yeah. much better life than I was living. And my life's you way better than that, obviously. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like... If that's all that I had gotten, it'd be worth it. But absolutely, the the innumerable levels of stuff beyond that is directly proportional to my efforts in trying to pursue a spiritual life and hand it off to other people. Mm -hmm. But that's the to core your, of it. Uh, some might say it's directly proportionate to your zeal and stick to itiveness. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> those are just buzzwords that dumb people say to sound smart, aren't they? <laughs> so. 12 questions with our friend G. Uh, question one. How many people have you sponsored? Um, probably around 10. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. How long did it take you to do the steps? Um, I think within nine months I was done with them. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, when was the last time you heard someone's fifth step? Um... I think a month ago. Yeah. Nice. I'm working on one right now with uh, with my guy who I was just telling you about in the beginning, though. So I think next week I'll be hearing another one. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, can I just, I want to just ask, so Whatever. 
you said you were just uh, working with him for a few days now. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a week, and we've already done steps one through three, and then we we just read uh, how it works um, last night. So I told him to get started on it. So he's on step four right now, Fuck and I gave him a week. So you gave him yeah, a week to so, do it. So he'll be doing his yeah. fifth in a week, and then uh, so he would be probably sponsoring like if if he kept on that pace within like a few more weeks yeah that's the goal i took i told him like dude we're in quarantine you don't got shit to do let's get this done nice fuck yeah so, that's yeah, awesome like, I love yeah that. and he's he's doing great you know so it's uh it's good to awesome. see uh okay uh when did you feel the nearness of your creator um probably around somewhere the six to nine month mark like this is it was like somewhere in between there and the way i i view it is like um i remember like i, I was really suicidal for like the for the longest time <laughs> even when i was sober i was having like crazy fucking nightmares every night like waking up crying and just like feeling horrible and wanting to die and i remember there was one day where i was just going about my day and then suddenly it hit me i was like wow i haven't thought about killing myself today and that to me was like my like one of my moments where i was like this is like the psychic change that they're talking about like this something profound has happened where like i've gone my day and i didn't even realize that i didn't think about it mm -hmm. you know it's like what john was saying earlier is like like my my fucking perfect vision for my life would have been just sitting bored on a couch you know and like and i could have that was like a life beyond my wildest dreams you know and just like and just suddenly realizing like wow i've maybe it's been like a day or two like i, I hadn't thought about this in a while and it was just like a, a profound uh, realization. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the moment. And I can't remember exactly when it was. I know it's been somewhere between the six and nine month mark. I think I was on like, probably on my amends phase where that was kind of happening. And um, yeah, that's that's always the, the moment I go back to when I think about like the nearness of my creator, I guess. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Bill or Bob? <laughs> Uh, probably Bill. Yeah, I'm a Bill guy. <laughs> Our second Bill. Yeah, we should yeah. start keeping track. We'll post like a we'll post like a, a Bill or Bob counter. Yeah, Bill or Bob counter. Bo um, okay. Uh, have you heard a fifth step that did not include weird sex stuff? <laughs> Is there? It, well, if, they'd be lying if there wasn't. <laughs> Like, that's how I, know I agree. Bullshitting. I'm like, I'd be like, hey, go back. We're gonna meet again next week because something's not right here. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't bring me some weird sex shit, you yeah. better find a new sponsor. Yeah, there's, yeah, something's. You're not being honest. <laughs> uh, how many stories have you read from the back of the book? Oh man, it's been a while, dude. I I probably read like a handful of them, but that's not really something I go most of the time. Probably like like four of them or three of them maybe but it's been like a long time <laughs> yeah same hey, one of these days i'm gonna have to find out where these stories are <laughs> show yeah, them your book i have no idea oh yeah my first 164 um actually fell out so this is this, i have like a regular fourth edition but th this is the first 164 and it fell out oh, because it's the funny. only thing i ever opened so um <laughs> Yeah, and well, I go to the spiritual experience in the back, but yeah, as, yeah. As far as I make, I mean, I just go to there. But um, okay, so keeping on the book, uh, how much time outside of meeting with sponsees or preparing to meet with sponsees? How much time have you spent studying the book? Um, well, recently I started doing a lot more because of the 
the meeting on Wednesdays. Like it, it actually gets me to, to read the book out because because a lot of the time with book studies, like you read it when you're in the meeting or like like you said, when I'm meeting with somebody, like sponsoring someone, like we obviously like, read the stuff together, we go through some things. But um, yeah, I actually started like ever since I started going to that meeting on Wednesdays, it's like inspired me to start, uh, you know, really getting into it a lot more and, and like reading it on my own time and like trying to like make my own uh, like dot connections throughout the book. Like, cause, cause to me, like that, that's why when I did my thing earlier, like I was kind of jumping around because the way they wrote it is like they they know like when you're brand new, like you're not ready to hear certain things yet. So they're kind of like prefacing things, but it, it all ends up coming connected in the end. So it's like this, like, diagram that's like the way i visualize it it's like all like a spider web or something so i'm trying to like connect all these dots to my mind of like when i hear something here it's like oh that's because later they end up saying this and it goes back to that and it's like i don't know it's 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 it all like come it's all like everything they wrote is very very intentional and like how they wrote it like the words they used and like it i find that really fascinating so i've been kind of like getting like uh geeked out on that and uh, nerding out over the book you know nice. and uh, you guys are a big part of that man so you know over the past like however long I've been going to that meeting, I've been getting a lot more into it. Nice. So, yeah. He's of course, speaking of a Wednesday night meeting that none of our podcast listeners will ever know about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's the most important word in step one? Mm. Let me think. Um, I want to read very carefully and pick the exact word that I want to use. This is being graded. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we are judging. I can you. admit it. For me, it's, it's admitted because that, that insinuates some sort of humility. And for me, like, like I was just so in denial or just, um, yeah, I just thought I had my shit together when, when it was just so obvious that like I was the, like the, like so far from that, you know? And when I finally made the admission that, something wasn't right and that um i mean i mean the rest of the things is powerless over alcohol but like i have to admit that you know and 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 like that that like admission of humility kind of opens the doors like okay well maybe my plan isn't working out maybe i don't know what's best maybe something maybe i'm not the fucking center of the universe and that kind of opens the door for step two you know at least for me like having that humility and that admission of uh I guess powerless would be like the second most important word for me in that. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of what resonates with me the most because I just the ego I had. I'm just gonna tell him that he. So, sorry, G, but you lose. Uh, the most important word is obviously we. You know, because you can't do it alone. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meeting makers make it. There you go. Yeah. That poor fucking Inuit who found a book in the middle of nowhere. He's oh, he's fucked. fucked. He's, no he's no fucked. chili cook-off for him. <laughs> He'll be drunk. He'll be drunk in a week. Yep. Uh, okay. How did your sponsor approach you? Um. Well, he it, it's it's kind of like what you were saying earlier that he kind of like put himself out there was. He would share something and kind of, you know, make some sort of insinuation that he was willing to sponsor. And then after the meeting, he would go right up to me every time. He would always talk to me, nice. just be really friendly to me. And then, um, yeah, we just kind of started talking and um, maybe a couple weeks went by and we just kind of became friends. And after a while, I was like, hey, um, you know, I know you don't have a sponsor. You know, I was wondering if you wanted to kind of get more into this. It seems like you want to stay sober. You've got like 30 days now or however long I had. And um and I was like, yeah, let's just give it a shot. And he just told me, he's like, start calling me every day. 
uh, read the doctor's opinion and we'll meet up on Sundays. Sunday mornings was like our time. And he'd give me an assignment. I do the assignment. We'd show up, we'd talk about it. And then I go on my way, give me something else to do and just checking in every day. And, and that's kind of how it worked for me at first, you know, and, that, and that's kind of the approach I, I take when I'm working with guys too. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll kind of put myself out there. I, and like, and, and now in zoom meetings, like whenever I hear someone mention that they're a newcomer, I'll just shoot them a message, but Hey, like, glad you're here. Um, you know, here's my phone number if you ever want to talk. And uh, yeah. And then if they call me, we talk a little bit and then kind of get a feel for one another. And I see where they're at. It's like, yeah, if you got, you want to do this thing let me know I'm, I'm i'm willing to sponsor you you know and that's and that's kind of how it starts you know nice and and i always like that approach because i wouldn't want someone coming up to me or telling me i had to do this or trying to like force anything on me that would have weirded me out you know yeah. I, I was 17 when i first came in and this dude's like in his 40s and i don't want some old guy coming and being all weird towards me so mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, yeah with like a, <laughs> a red baseball hat with white writing on it <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. So I, I kind of I appreciated that approach and just the general like, and, and kind of what you were saying too is like the humility that that even they take in the book is like they're they're not like bludgeoning you with with anything. They're just saying like you know this is this is what uh, this is what resonates with us. This is what our experience has been. And then if you're an alcoholic, it's gonna hit you hard. And you're gonna you're gonna resonate with it. And for me, like reading this stuff and Fred mentions earlier is like, it was like someone was writing my story. Like I wouldn't have used these words, but it's mm-hmm. like someone knows every experience I've had. And maybe like, like the exact experiences were different, but the feelings behind those experiences were the same. And that's what I can relate to. Like the, like I said, restless, irritable, discontent, and like the pitiful incomprehensible demoralization, all those words like mm-hmm. hit me. And I was like, I know what that means. I've never said pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization in my life, but I know what that means. You know, like I feel that in my fucking like gaping hole in my chest, like like that's where Absolutely. I feel that. You know, it's like, yeah. Twofold illness or threefold illness? Um, well, I think it's threefold. It's kind of what I was saying earlier. Is like it's the mind, the body, and then it says later the spiritual disease. So, and that's and the from the spiritual disease stems the the um, mental obsession, which leads to like taking the drink and the the phenomenon of craving. So. Yeah, I, I think it, it pretty explicitly says, yeah, like uh, page 64, um, from it stems all form of spiritual disease. Um, for we have not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. So yeah, it, it says it right there. Right on. There you go. Uh, okay. How many meetings do you attend weekly? And you can give us your answer in both current Zoom times and then non-Zoom times. Um, I think regularly... There's like three that I've been going to a lot, but generally, like if I have a sponsee, like I'll, I'll kind of like try and go to some meetings with them or, you know, take them to some meetings I like, but you know, I always try and hit like three a week. And, and I like, there's, there's some like newcomer meetings I like too, that, um, you know, like there was, there was one I was going, like when, when zoom first hit, I was trying to go every day. Cause I really wanted to pick up some sponsees yeah. because, um, like I, I didn't have any at the time. And, um, and I was like, wow, things are about to get a lot different. Like I need some, I need something that's going to like keep me going, you know? So I started going to a newcomer meeting every morning, just trying to pick up some new guys. And then, um, and then, yeah, then I found your guys meeting on Wednesdays and I really liked that one. So that's one of my like regular meetings as well. And there's a couple other book studies I like too. like book studies and newcomer meetings kind of tend to be my, my favorite ones. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you're on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's 
So you don't, so you don't just like open discussion meetings. Well, I mean, you know, th- those in the gratitude meetings, like yeah. <laughs> those are, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> November's right around the corner. Oh, oh yeah. Man, I can't wait. yeah. Ask me that question. How many meetings do you attend? Uh, well, are we talking about November? Because then it's fucking zero. <laughs> Yeah. Are we talking November, December? Fucking zero. None. I don't want to hear zero meetings. <laughs> I don't want to hear meeting maker Marty puke about fucking <laughs> maker Marty <laughs> acceptance and gratitude through every meeting for two months. Mm. Yeah. All right. Bonus question. All right. How would you define thirteenth stepping? Oh, thirteenth stepping. Well, I mean, to that is like when there's someone who's been around an AA for a while and um, there's a newcomer of the opposite sex and they intentionally go and like prey on someone who's, who's essentially like vulnerable, you know, and they're basically like advertising that they're like this, like, like, like they're like, Oh, like I'm going to show you like a higher power. They're like, they're advertising like AA, but in like a way that's like, (laughs) it's like they're they're, like manipulating someone basically and taking advantage of someone who's like, uh, who's new. And yeah, they're, they're trying to fuck newcomers, basically. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. baby, I'm going to show you my higher power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can call yeah. it whatever you want. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Dirtbaggery. Yes. Well, well, gee. Dirtbaggery, yeah. yeah. This was awesome, man. I, I really appreciate Thank you, you doing so this much. with us. And appreciate, I yeah, know we man. both, we all appreciate you being a part of our, our, our thing on Wednesday. And glad you could do this, man. Yeah, I really love being there, and um, and like I said, it's it's really been inspiring me to, um, you know, step up my program. Like, um, I think a lot of the meetings I was going to kind of like stagnated, and I really needed something new. And in a way, like, I'm really grateful for this pandemic because, like, a lot of the meetings in my local area, like I said, they've kind of stagnated. There's not really newcomers. Mm-hmm. A lot of old timers just kind of talking about random stuff. <laughs> that yeah, it's, it's it's like it wasn't really doing anything for me, and yeah. like I just felt I just Weird. felt stagnant. Yeah. And, and like now that the, um, you know, this pandemic has hit, it's like now I've, I've got a whole, like literally like a, the whole world of meetings that I can choose from and yeah. I've found people that I really, um, can, can relate to. And, um, mm-hmm. that really like inspired me. And that, I think that's what this thing's about is we inspire each other and we help each other. And, um, I don't know someone, someone kind of says like, you know, someone shares like, like the, the book, they feel like it was like God speaking to these people. And I feel like that's kind of how like we are in this program. Like we're, it's, it's our higher power speaking to one another. And that's why, like when we, when we share, like a lot of times, like it hits us in like in our hearts, you know, because that's like, it's, the, it's, it's our higher power talking to us, you know, or that's kind of how I think about it at least, you know, yeah. and I, I can always take away some stuff from that, you know? So yeah, it's, it's been good, man. And I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to have found you guys. And Yeah. Good stuff, man. Hell yeah, man. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for doing this.
people have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.